Good morning. What'd you guys do this week? <laughs> I tell you, I did not see one week ago standing up here what was what was coming. Uh, but let me just say this: this I, I've I've tried to figure out, like as I thought for the past day or two, and kind of gotten some clarity. I think this was the most exhausting, but also the most fun week ever. Uh, and I. I, I echo what, what Jake said. I, I was so blessed by seeing you guys live out in a million different ways at here, at the high school, in your homes, uh, what we talk about every single Sunday. Loving God and loving neighbor, sacrificing and serving just as Jesus did for us and being the hands and feet of Jesus. You did it, and it was amazing. Yeah, it was really fun. It was, um, and... and, and one of the things you may have picked up that on that in Jake's prayer, and I'm going to hit it again at the end of the sermon, um, that hit us is there is enough to take care of people. There's enough room. There's enough food. There's enough space. There's enough medicals. There is enough. It's just the will that we have to actually share it. And this week, because of the crisis, everybody shared, well, guess what? There's still need tomorrow, and there's enough. The question is, as Christ followers, will we continue to share? So anyway, last, we're, we're back in, in we're going to be in Genesis 12 today, which is hilarious. The whole week I thought, I can't believe this is the text we have for Sunday because it's perfect. Um, we're in the foundations section of our liturgical year. We, we talk about the beginning story and, and we took a little break from that, you know, to do the, the, the Journey of the Soul series. But, but what we, we talked about last week was this Genesis 1 and 2, this creation, God making this good world as a place where he would live with his people and putting us in it as in, created in the image of God as a way to reflect God to the world. Now what I'm going to skip over from, from chapter 3 up to the end of chapter 11 is that that world got broken. We, we grasped for power for ourselves. We tried to do it our own way and everything got distorted and twisted but God wasn't surprised by that, and he had a plan. He, he was going to send his son, and he begins the steps toward that in Genesis 12 by doing what God always does. He begins by working through people. And in Genesis 12, we, we see this, this call of Abraham, uh, which actually, you know, this whole series has been, why am I here these two weeks? Why am I here? This call is really going to answer that question, in a, I think, in a very, very tangible way. So I'm going to read Genesis 12, 1 to 9. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And so Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he went on to the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west 
and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now, very simple text. It's a calling of a man who will play quite a role in the rest of this book we know as the Bible. He's, he's, he's kind of a, 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 a key figure all the way out through the scripture. Abram. His name Abram means exalted father. In Genesis 17, his name's going to be changed to Abraham, which means father of many. And I'm not going to try to keep those straight in my head. I'm just going to call him whatever comes to mind at the moment. But if you hear me say Abram or Abraham, I'm talking about the same guy, right? It's a passage known by theologians and Bible teachers as the call of Abraham. And believe it or not, this, this carries, I think, the answer to why are we here, this big question. And what we see in this short text is what I'll call the three-stage story of Abraham. I'm, I, I want to do is I want to quickly show you three little divisions of the text, and then we're going to kind of circle back and talk about these three stages that we see in these first nine verses. They start in verse 1 with a call to follow. Verse 1, leave your country, leave your people, Leave your father's house, Abram, and go to a land that I'll show you. So in other words, leave what you know and what you're comfortable with and go to a place that you don't know anything about. I'll show, it, I'll show you when you get there. Go to a place that you don't yet know. That's the first step, this call of Abraham, the first stage. Then right after that, we see the second stage, a promise from God, a promise of care and provision, a promise of a heritage. I'm going to make you a great nation. A promise to, to bless those who bless him and to curse those who curse him. And then a promise to bless all the peoples of the earth through Abraham. All the nations, all the ethnicities. The word is clans in Hebrew. All the groups of people all over the whole world will be blessed through Abraham. This is the promise. And then the funny thing, after the promise, it just gets normal. It's the real life that follows, right? So Abram left. They hit the road. They packed up. They went to Shechem. And at Shechem, God spoke to him and said, I'm going to give this land to you and your descendants one day, but not yet. And so Abram built an altar, a way of, of, thanks, of building a, a monument to give thanks to God. Then he went to Bethel, and he camped there. He built another altar, and it says he called on the name of the Lord. Then he went on to the Negev, kind of the southern part of Israel. And if you keep reading, he goes on to Egypt. It's just normal life after that. There's this huge call, this promise of God, and then just going about life. And those are the three stages that I see in the text, and I want to talk about each one. First one, stage one, accepting the call. First thing we see is Abram being called, leave your home, leave your father's house, leave your family, leave the land you've grown up in, leave your culture, leave everything that you know, and go to a place that God will, will show you. Now, how many of you would just pack up tomorrow, leave everything you know, and go somewhere. That's a hard call. Like, we, we minimize in our mind because we read it in a couple of verses and we know he went, so we don't think much about it. But sometimes the first step in following God is being willing to let go of what you know and what you can control, what you're comfortable with, and move on to something that, that you don't know. Most of the time when God calls, the call is open-ended, and unsettling. It's open-ended. You don't know how it's going to turn out. It's unsettling. You don't know what lies ahead. And we don't like, maybe some of you do. You adrenaline junkies, maybe you like this kind of thing. Not me. 
And I think most of us, we don't like it when it's open-ended and unsettling. We like to get to a place where we know we have what we need, where we're comfortable. Most of our lives are spent trying to work to get to that place of where we can, okay, it's all right, my needs are met, nothing's going to surprise me here, I'm safe. We like to get to a place of peace. <laughs> Sunday night, I was laying uh, in bed, and about 9.30, 10 o'clock, and I knew the roads had closed, and I knew there was no power, and I kept thinking, man, we, we need to open the church. <laughs> we need to let people sleep there, but we have no power. And we're not Catholic, so we don't have many candles either. <laughs> so what are we going to, how would we do that? And, and what happens when the alarm comes, uh, the powers come on in the middle of the night, and everybody's in there, and the alarm goes off? What, what happened? I was running through all these scenarios in my head, and I get a text from Lisa Friesen, hey, we need to open the church. So I was like... <clears throat> Now we've got to do it. And then another one, Mark and I'll stay there. Oh, okay. So there's, there's this call, right? And we're, we're not equipped for that. We don't, what are we going to do? Angela said, where are they going to sleep? I'm like, well, we got pews. Well, we got no blankets. We got no None of us knew what was going to be there. But we knew we had to do it, right? And it, that's a small thing. What we did this week, really, I mean, I know it was great and it was overwhelming. It's a small thing in the big scope. And you think, here's Abraham, leave your country, your people, your father's house, and go to a place where I'll show you. When God calls, very often the accepting of that call means leaving behind what we feel comfortable with and moving into something we don't, with no concrete guarantees. We want to know the answers up front. I wanted to know, well, yeah, when I call for blankets, we'll get them. The power will come back on. We'll have heat. I wanted to know all those things, but you can't. I love that moment where Jesus is talking with Peter after the resurrection. You know, he's walking along the, well, I'm, I've envisioned that. He's walking along the side of the Sea of Galilee. He's talking to Peter, kind of reinstating him after Peter had denied him. And it, it's getting a little tense for Peter. And he sees John sitting over there. And the rumor is that John, somebody said that John, you know, on Facebook, somebody said John is going to stay alive until Jesus comes back. So now everybody believes it. I'm kidding. There was no Facebook, right? But, but you know what I mean? There's this rumor. And Peter says to Jesus, well, what about him, right? I'm tired of talking about me, Jesus. What about him? I want to know something about him. And he says in John 21, 22, Jesus answered, if I want him to, alive, to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me, Peter. Follow me. You don't know where you're going to be. You don't know what's going to happen to John. And I'd be thinking, follow you where, Jesus? I know, by the way, my mind works. What, well, can I bring my family? Where am I going to live? What are we going to need? Follow you where? Can you make sure that I'll be okay? You know, that question, why am I here, that we've kind of talked about these two weeks, we're here to follow. That's really it. And we don't know where, where it's going to, we don't know how it's going to play out. But that's the call. And, and we have to remember that the call is way bigger than, quote, me. <laughs> it's true in two ways. I'm going to talk in a minute about how God works in his part of the call. But I also want you to realize the focus of the call is, is bigger than you. It's outward. Yes, Abraham is going to be blessed, but the final point is that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through him. It's not just about Abraham. The, the, the call is that the blessing and what you're doing is going to move outward from you. It's not just about you. We, we get wrapped up, take care of me. What's going to happen to me? I don't know if I can do this. But the call is bigger than me. In, in Isaiah 49, God speaks to the, the servant who is the, this image of Jesus who will come. 
And he says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. In other words, he's saying, it's too small just to, just to redeem Israel. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. The call's bigger than us. It's way out there. And, and in a moment of crisis this week, everybody got that. We saw it. We knew it. Now, now the temptation is to slide back into worrying about me again. But the call is, is outward. As I looked around our sanctuary and saw so many different ethnicities, so many different religious backgrounds, I thought, you know what? This blessing of all the nations, it's happening right here. It was so fun. I felt like the text I'm thinking about to preach on is playing out right inside these four walls. One of my favorite stories, Maddie, my daughter, comes to me and she says, Dad, there's a woman here that only speaks Punjabi and she's trying to tell me something I have no idea. And, and I'm like, you're coming to me for an answer? I have no idea. <laughs> and then as, as usually is the case when people talk long enough to me, they come up with their own answer because they realize I don't have anything. And Maddie's like, Google Translate. I'll get her to type it into Google Translate. So she goes and the lady types something into Google Translate and it says, the food is superficial. So is that a compliment? Is there something we, we figure that's, that's probably not what she's saying. And once again, Maddie says, what, what do we do now? And I'm like, once again, I don't know. But Maddie comes up with her own answer and remembers a friend from high school. Her family runs the hotel just up on the highway here, Sikh family. And so she calls the hotel, gets them on the line, and puts the lady in touch with them. And they're Punjabi back and forth, just flying at it. And then Maddie gets on the phone, and they say, oh, she wants to have a shower. Okay, Google Translate said the food is superficial, but she wants to have a shower, right? I love that. I loved it. But then they said, get this. The Sikh family said, send her up here. We got lots. We'll take care of her. And I, oh, all the nations of the world being blessed by this. I love that. What a picture. The call is bigger than us. It's bigger than our comfort. It's bigger than our agenda. Bigger than our abilities. Bigger than our own understanding, right? That's the call. That's just like it was for Abraham. He had no idea what was coming. That's why the second stage is so important. Stage two is holding to the promise. The one thing that keeps us steady as we launch out into this unknown place, as we launch out into to not knowing how it's going to work, is the promise. It's only in holding to that promise, even when we don't see it happening, that we find the courage to keep moving forward. Three things I want, verse 2 and 3 is the promise, right? You can see that in the text. But there's, there's three things I want to highlight about it. First, we have to be clear on who does the action. Let me just read it again, verses 2 and 3. And you listen. Listen for who does the work in this promise. God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham doesn't have to do anything except go. The promise is all about what God does. It's all about his action. I, lots of times in retreats, I'll have people read, write this down, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. I'm not going to go through it. Read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, and then make a note of everything God does and everything you do. You know, it's, it, it's God that, that does the work. He's the one who does it all. Now, that doesn't mean we passively sit by and do nothing. Abraham had to go. And, you know, God's saying, I'll make this happen if you just go. 
I will bless you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And, and you'll be ble- the whole world will be blessed through you. Just go to the land where I'm going to send you. And, you know, we were, this week we were far from passive. If you were here helping, <laughs> we were not passive. We worked hard, all of us, for hours and hours. But everybody had a sense that what was actually happening was so much more than our effort. It was unbelievable. I remember the, the, the night the road was open, we had let a bunch of people go. We were down to about 15 at the church, and the couple, that, the family that had been staying at our house had offered to make dinner, and so we thought, I, can, I need to go home and, and let them do this. And I was starving, and they had a great meal of salmon ready for us. So I, was, so I went home, but when we were sitting there talking, I was kind of telling the story about the week, and Reed, who's been at Camp Squee all week, struggling with the same stuff, right? Squee and Cockwell, I love this. Everybody opened up. But Reed said to me, how did you feed that many people? And I said, I literally have no idea. I don't know. There were these people in the kitchen, you know, that just kind of did their stuff, and food showed up, and somehow they got it out. I have no idea how it happened. All week long, I felt like we were being carried. We were, yes, we were working, but when we needed something that showed up, when we needed volunteers, they were there. Because God was actually doing all the work. Now, here's the weird thing. Yesterday afternoon, I'm finishing my sermon a little bit late for some reason. I don't know. I just I got distracted this week. I'm typing this part of my sermon, and my bing email pops up. And it's an email from Susan DeLong. Many of you know Susan and Alan were here in our church for many years. They moved to Cranbrook. We're trying to lure them back, but I just don't think it's going to happen. But this is my email from Susan, just a little bit of it. She said, last Sunday, before any of this happened, you started to come to mind. And I thought of all your family at the compound, and finally I decided to write you an early Christmas card. Doesn't that sound like Susan? I didn't read any news on Sunday, but on Monday morning I read a message that you sent out asking for warm blankets and pillows. Uh Uh-oh, I said to Alan, something's wrong, and hope. I proceeded to read the news reports, which grew more dire as the day progressed. Now I know why you came to mind on Sunday. God was inviting me to pray, along with countless others who are still praying as the situation continues to play out. See, that's the thing. God at work before, God at work during, and God will continue to work after. But it's him that's doing it. and we have, to, we have to rest in that. That's what gives us the courage to launch out when we don't know where we're going. Because it's not our responsibility to make it work. And what I've noticed in the text, again, this week, for the first time I've seen this, is that God does both the blessing and the defending. Now, I've changed the word from cursing to defending, but it, that's what I mean by that is, is what we saw this week. He does all the good through us. But he's also the one who responds when we're maligned or criticized. On Facebook, there were a couple posts I, I heard. I didn't have time to look fa- Facebook, which was actually really good. Oh, the church is closing down. The church is kicking people out. And the guys from the town was kept calling, are you shutting down? Because it says, I said, no, we're here for the duration. But the good thing was, you don't have to worry about what people say. Abraham could rest in the fact that God would bless him and bless through him, but he could also rest in the fact that God would deal with the ones who mistreated him. He didn't have to, to solve that problem. He didn't have to respond. You know, I find we're often happy to let God do the good things through us. <laughs> but when people attack us, when people challenge us, when they say things about us that aren't true, when they hurt our feelings, we just feel compelled to settle the score. Got to make this right. Can't believe they said that. 
We don't want people to take advantage. We, we feel the sting, which is real, and we want to strike back. But the reality is that God will not only do the good, it says he will speak on our behalf. He will bring justice on our behalf. And we can, that, that, that's what frees us. Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. If you get that, criticism bounces off. Hurt feelings are easier let go because you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to fix it. You can just serve. We can be criticized, offended, hurt, and know that God will deal with all of that. We can risk and follow the open-ended call because we hold to the promise that God will do what needs to be done both through us and by protecting us while we're following. And this frees us so that we become the channel, right? We become, all we really are is this conduit that the blessing flows through. Abraham, he says, the entire world will be blessed through you. And later on in Galatians, Paul picks up on it in Galatians 3. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith And he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. That's the beauty of the promise. The grace and mercy of God, if we are willing to follow, will flow through us to the world around us. Like I say, I think everybody here this week, everybody in this town this week should realize that what, what, (laughs) you know what, this is the same town. Hope strong. I love, we are hope, heart. Yes, yes, yes. This is the same town that three months ago people were up in arms at each other about Facebook posts and should we do this or shouldn't we do that? Same town. It's not like we are all of a sudden just became good people. <laughs> but in the moment of crisis, God did something through this town that was beyond us. He was working and, and touching people here in this building through these amazing things like washrooms being clean. <laughs> like like blankets and pillows showing up, like watching family movies on the screen here at night. We had one little girl the night that the, the, the road's open and everybody's packing up to leave and she comes to Angela and she says, what's for supper and what's the movie tonight? <laughs> right? And the, the beauty is these good things were happening just through us. So many people were moved, were moved by the love and the compassion they received here that was flowing through you guys. And when we risk, when we hold to the promise, the blessing throws through us. And that's the third stage, which is the normal life part. Stage three, incarnating the blessing. Incarnating the blessing. I've chosen that word very specifically, that phrase, because the heart of the calling is to embody, to put into flesh, to incarnate, like Jesus did, the blessing of God to the world. Just as Jesus was God in the flesh, we are called to incarnate the blessing to everybody that we encounter. But how do we do that? Well, there's, there's a couple things. First, we have to move forward trusting the promise. Move forward trusting the promise. Yeah, the call's risky. We don't know what's ahead. But the response we need to give is to move forward trusting that God does know what's ahead. And since it's his responsibility to do the action, all we have to do is move forward. If that had been clear in my mind, it would have been a lot easier to come and unlock the church. I probably would have done it a lot sooner, but God had to give me a Lisa Friesen text to get me moving, right? But, but that's the thing. We need to move forward and trust the promise. 
In Hebrews 11, it's that story of faith, right? The journey of faith. Listen, listen to the unknown for Noah and for Abraham in this passage. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear he built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And here, here's the incarnating the blessing. Here's the, the hope, the trusting the promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He knew something was coming. He held to that promise and he moved forward. And, and like I say, we, we had no idea where we were going to get blankets. How are we going to feed people? And, and at that time, I drove to the, to the church at 1030 and it looked like cheap movie night at the theater. Every parking space in the entire town was filled at 1030 at night. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what if they all come? Because Lisa said, let's put it on Facebook. I'm like, hang on a second here. <laughs> what are we going to do with them when they come? But we did. And, and, some came, and it, was just, it was just enough. God knew exactly what needed to happen, right? And, and you may know, know, not know what happened if you surrender to God's call to be a blessing. If you forgive this person who has hurt you or wronged you. If you sacrificially give to someone in need. If you take a risk to tell someone about the love of Jesus if you make a change in the direction of your life, you may not know everything that's going to happen. But the call is to move forward, trust the promise. Move forward, trust the promise. In our text, Abraham just moves. He goes to Shechem, he goes to Bethel, he builds an altar, then he heads to the Negev. It's, it, I love this section of just real life because the majority of the time that we are alive is real life. Like this was exhilarating. This was a week when we could all jump into action and serve in a very tangible way. But the majority of our life is real life. Moving from this place to that place. Camping here, doing this, doing that. And, and the, the call is to be this channel of blessing in real life. And I love the, the last five verses of the text because they talk about the back and forth of following. There are two altars that are built here as Abram goes on his way. One's at Shechem, where God spoke to him, and one is near Bethel, where Abraham, it says, called on the name of the Lord. I love this because as, as we follow the call, sometimes God speaks very clearly to us, and other times we cry out to him. And we may not hear for a while, but there's this give and take that we see in Abram's real life. Sometimes God speaks, sometimes he doesn't, and Abraham calls out. And that's what following looks like. That's what trusting the promise looks like. Okay, and I can guarantee you, more prayer has happened in this church by your pastor in the past week than in many weeks that he's been here. Because I was like, we, okay, we just fed 400 people lunch. Now 400 people need supper. <laughs> Where's it going to come from, God? And boom, there it is. It shows up. But it, it's that cry and response. Cry that, that is the Christian life, the real life of just the normal. Sometimes we have these big moments where God speaks, but a lot of times it's just building an altar and saying, God, where are you? Calling on the name of the Lord. That's what it looks like. It's, it's a dance back and forth in relationship with God. Psalm 34, I love this. I sought the Lord, that's the call, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. 
Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. Saved him out of all his troubles. It's call and response. Cry out, listen. That's how real life operates. And, and the blessing will show up. Well, how will I know? Well, you'll know it when you see it. <laughs> you will know it when you see it. You'll know you're following the call when people are being blessed by God through you. There's this, um, you know, Abraham's call was pointing toward this baby Jesus that was coming to change everything. And people waited for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for that blessing to come. And, and there's this, in Luke chapter 2, we're going to get to this in the next few weeks. Anna and Simeon, they take the baby Jesus to the temple, and there's this, this man and this woman who've been there waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the promise that's been given to Abraham to, to come into fruition. And in Luke 2, 29, Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in, priest, in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation." I've seen it, I've seen it, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. See, when the blessing of God comes, you know it. You can see it. Nobody doubts that God was at work this week. Everybody that was here, Christian or not, other faith or whatever, they felt the love and grace. They knew that someone bigger than them was taking care of them. They felt blessed by God. And when we are being a channel of blessing, it's clear. But let me tell you this, it's also clear when we're not. It's also clear when we're not. And when you look behind you at your life and honestly assess it, if you see a trail of brokenness and anger and frustration and pain in the lives of other people, that is not being a conduit of the blessing of God. And the call is to to move in a different direction. The call is to go where he leads and allow God to begin to work in you to bring that blessing to others. And when you step up to that call and you follow the trusting that God will do the work through you, you engage in that dance of, of cry out and response with God, then the fruit of blessing begins to flow. Right? Matthew seven sixteen. by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? By their fruit, you'll recognize them. And by the own fruit in your life, you can see where you are in relation to this calling of God to be a blessing to all nations. That's why we are here. Anyone who was a part of what happened under this roof this week had a sense that God was at work, that he was doing something to show his love for every single person that was in hope this week. And that what happened here was, was, was a part of us, but it was way beyond us. And it was a great week. <laughs> I really believe God used us to bless the nations that, that were stuck in hope. What a great place to be stuck, hope, right? Love that. Just, just the, the metaphor, just the irony of the phrase. And now the role we have to pray, that now the role that we have to play is that we can live this each and every day from here on out. Because there are people in hope who still need food who still need shelter, who still need to know that they are loved and welcomed by God every single day. And God says, go. Go to the place I'm going to show you. Get out of your comfort zone. Follow me and I'll bless you. And I will bless through you. And I'll deal with those who curse you. Don't worry about them. Your role is not to silence the cursors. Your role is to be the blessing of God. And the world will know 
Jesus, then, is the way to life. See, what, what happened here this week was, was nothing short of amazing. God worked through us, I think, as we followed. But now, it's back to real life, right? And can we take the lessons that we've learned, the things that we've seen, this back and forth of relationship, and realize that we're still called to go. We're still called to be the blessing of God to every person that we encounter. We're still a part of the promise to bless the nations, not just during a crisis, but every single day. And by doing this, people will come to know Jesus as a God who loves them, a God who welcomes them, who serves them, and then calls them to a place where he will show them and blesses the nations through them. You know, our, our, our vision here at this church is we, we want to see lives renewed, our community transformed by the power of the gospel. That's what we want to do. That's, that's Genesis 12, 2 and 3. Lives renewed, our community transformed by the power of the gospel. And we got a taste of that this week, but the call doesn't stop when life gets back to normal, when you're headed to Shechem and to Ai and to Bethel. Build your altars. Listen for God. Call out to the name of God. The call is still there in small and subtle ways tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Through you, child of God, son or daughter of Abraham, the whole world will be blessed. That's the promise. But let's get at it. Starting today, let's pray. God, thank you for uh, all the miraculous things you provided this week. Thank you for linking arms with the community, for a sense of partnership uh, across faith lines, across uh, social lines, across cultural lines. We, we, we just saw you break all the barriers so that people could serve others this week. And I know, God, you've planted seeds. You've, you've opened hearts to, to who you are through what's happened. I just pray that we can continue to live like this in small ways, just as we did in a big way this past week. Help us to rest in the fact that you will bless us that you will establish us, that you will bless those who bless us, you'll curse those who curse us. We don't have to protect ourselves. And ultimately, God, that as we follow you, all the nations of the world will be blessed through us. That is our prayer. Give us the courage to follow, to move forward and hold to your promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's Hebrews 6, 10, 11, and 12. Just listen to this. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. That's my prayer for you this week, that you can move forward into the unsafe, into the unknown, but cling to the promise. And let God use you as a channel of blessing with every encounter you have. Amen.